Next on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor shows us that salvation is a gift. You see, it's grace through faith, but it's not just faith alone. It's grace through faith, but it's, it's not alone faith, isn't it? Because faith is tied to a person, not to a thing. Faith is tied to a person. Jesus, he saved us, and he rescued us, and he delivered us, and he helps us. And our faith is tied to Jesus Christ, who John chapter 1 says is full of what? Grace and truth. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. We are so glad to have you in our listening family and welcome to Abounding Grace. There are a large number of people today that are under the illusion that they can gain the approval of God through their good behavior. Ask them a question like, are you going to heaven when you die? And they might say something like, I think so. I'm better than most people I know. Today, we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 4 and see that even the best really can't boast. Even the best people fall short of the mark. And so we must all trust in Christ for salvation. Here to illustrate that through the life of Abraham is Pastor Ed Taylor. Back to Romans chapter 4, everyone thought Abraham was sinless, perfect. It was even in their writings. It was their tradition. But the Word of God says otherwise. There were many failures. Now, verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. He couldn't boast before God. Why? Verse 3. Because what does the scripture say? Do you know that's a good question to ask when asked a spiritual question? Like somebody has something, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know a good response? Well, what does the scripture say? You might even want to get into that habit. Not does what, what does Pastor Ed say? Not what Pastor Chuck say? Not does what the Bible answer man says or anyone else that might have an answer. The best question to ask is what does the scripture say? Good question to ask. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what was in Abraham's life? Was it his good deeds? Is that how God accepted him? Well, if that was the case, then he could boast. But from God's view, he had nothing at all to take glory in. Nothing whatsoever. He didn't do anything but believe. I want you to see it. Flip back to Genesis 15. God comes to Abram. In chapter 12, don't turn there, but in chapter 12, we see God first speaks to Abram and calls him out of his land. Tells him to go to a place that he would show him. He'd make him a father of many nations. And then we get to Genesis 15, and we learn how God cuts the covenant with Abraham, with Abram. Look at verse 1, chapter 15 of Genesis. God, he comes and he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? I mean, how am I going to be the father of many nations when I don't even have a son? Then Abram said, verse 3, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. It's a promise of a gift. Abram, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to come from your own body. 
He says in verse 5, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Isn't that a great promise? Abram, I'm going to do something special, something wonderful, something grand, something glorious. I just want you to look at the stars, get it all in your mind, because you're going to be the father of many. And so what does Abram do? Verse 6, He believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's what Abram did. He believed. He believed. The Bible says that God saves us the same way. We believe the Lord and the truth about Jesus Christ, that he lived and he died and he rose again to forgive our sins. We believe that if Jesus died for us, then we should live for him. That's what we believe. We believe God. And it's our faith that's accounted for righteousness. Now read on, verse 7, as this covenant's being made. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? I mean, what, what, how am I going to know? And he says, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep, you might want to mark that, fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Verse 15. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they'll return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Here's the covenant. God says, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Where's Abraham at this point? At this point? He's in a deep sleep. You can almost say he's spiritually paralyzed. He can do nothing but listen, receive, and believe. He couldn't go up and do anything with the animals. He couldn't go up and walk through as it would be common for both parties to walk between the covenant to cut that. He couldn't do anything. He was there. He can see everything that's going on, but he can't move because God is doing it all. He, he, in obedience, brought the ingredients for what God was going to use. But when God makes the covenant, all he could do was lay there and watch God work. That's all he could do. And that's the love of God for you as he reaches down to save and rescue you. All you can do is watch God work. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. All you can do is just say, I believe you, God, and watch him account it to you for righteousness. Flip back to Romans real quick. That word account is very important. It's a banking term. It's a money term. It speaks of having funds deposited to an account. Spiritually, it speaks of an empty spiritual account that has been given all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How? By faith. And here is Abram. He's there and he's spiritually paralyzed. He's watching God do everything that needs. He's seeing it all happen. He can't say anything. He can't move. All he can do is listen. All he can do is receive. All he can do is believe in God. He's the one giving the promises. Too often I find, friends, that the emphasis in Christianity is on the promise keeper instead of the promise giver. Because we fail in keeping promises from time to time, don't we? 
I mean, it's not like we want to. It's not like we wake up in the morning and we want to fail and we want to go back on our word, but there are times in our humanity where we fail to keep a promise. But God never, ever sleeps or slumbers. He keeps every single one of his promises. Because you might come to the place and you say, but wait a minute, Abraham believed. We got to believe. I have to believe. You're right. I have to believe, but it's all dependent upon me. But be careful. Be careful there. Yes, you need to believe, but don't make belief supreme. I mean, consider it in this picture. We're out on the Aurora Reservoir. We're kind of paddling a boat and doing a little fishing. And out of the corner of our eye, we see you starting to fall under the water and you're flailing and you're going under and you're crying out for help but there's nothing you can do if you receive no help you're going under and there we are Marie and I are there we start paddling over to you we throw you a rope because we happen to have a rope right next to our fishing tackle box there and we throw you a rope and you grab that rope and as you grab that rope we start to pull you in and there you could barely hold on I mean, it is something. We told you to wrap yourself, and you're barely holding on. We pull you in, and as you, pull, as you get pulled in, we put you into the boat. And when you get into the boat, who are you going to thank? I hope you don't thank the rope. Oh, rope, you were so good to me. <laughs> you saved me, rope. If it wasn't for you, rope, I don't know where I would be. There'd be a big problem with that, wouldn't there? Because the rope is just an instrument. The rope was just the instrument that was used. Hopefully, the person that saved you will be the person you thank because that rope was connected to that person. It would be foolish for us. It would be foolish for us to just bow down and thank the rope, bring it home and browns it and put it over our fireplace and this is the great rope that saved my life. When in reality, it was the people behind that rope. God has given us faith for salvation. It's a gift from God. He threw you and me a rope and even that rope is a gift from God. You know why? Because God, as he threw that rope to us, he could have made it a noose. Because that's what we deserved in our rebellion and in our fighting against God. But that's not the loving God that you and I serve. He didn't throw us a noose. He threw us a life preserver by pointing us the way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we may have taken that rope and made it a noose ourselves. But out of his great love and concern for us, we can't boast into hanging on to the rope, can we? There I am, I'm saved because I hung on to that rope, man, that's me. The Lord could have made it anything other. You see, it's grace through faith, but it's not just faith alone. It's grace through faith, but it's, it's not alone faith, is it? Because faith is tied to a person, not to a thing. Faith is tied to a person. Jesus, he saved us, and he rescued us, and he delivered us, and he helps us. And our faith is tied to Jesus Christ, who John chapter 1 says is full of what? Grace and truth. And so, it's accounted to Abram for righteousness sake, and verse 3 is also for us. It's accounted to us for righteousness. But he goes on, verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, most if not all of you expect a paycheck from time to time from your employer. Some of you expect it monthly. Some of you expect it the 1st and the 15th, perhaps. Some of you get it every other week. Some of you even get paid weekly. Some of you might even get paid daily. I want to put you in the mind of the stream of thought when you go in to get your paycheck. 
Are you going in just so excited and so happy? I mean, you are so excited and happy about your paycheck that you tell your boss, boss, you are great. I am so glad you have my check for me. You are wonderful to me. Thank you for all of the numbers on my check. There are five or six of them, maybe. I don't know. I can't count. I can't see because my eyes are filled with tears because I love you so much for giving me my paycheck. Is that how you go in? So appreciative? Or do you go in thinking, give me my paycheck because I've worked for it? Because you get upset when you don't get one, right? So I'm sorry, guys. The checks aren't going to be out on Friday. We're going to get them Monday. And you're like, wait a minute. Didn't I just work for you? I mean, I put in the extra hours. I put in the overtime. I went the extra mile. And you're here to tell me that you're not going to give me a paycheck? Do you know why you can think that? Because you did work for it. So that you can go into your boss, not necessarily in a friendship mode, but in a debtor mode. You know why? Because the company is in debt to you. You provide the work, they give you money, that is their debt to you. And each day that you work is each day you rack up more of a debt for them to pay you. Does that work when it comes in relation to God, though? Because many people treat God that way. I've worked for you, Lord. I've worked for you, Lord. I've worked for you. Now, God, you owe me. Really? Does God really owe you? And if he does owe you, what does he owe you? No, you see, salvation comes by a gift. God, he is not going to be a debtor to any man. No one. God will be a debtor to no one. There's nothing that we could do that would cause God to owe us salvation. It's purely a gift from him. But rather, notice, he doesn't justify the people that deserve it. He doesn't justify the people that he owes. It says in verse 5, he justifies who? The ungodly. The people that really need God. This would totally blow the mind of the Jew because throughout scriptures they would read that God doesn't justify the wicked in Exodus chapter 23 or that he condemns the wicked, Deuteronomy chapter 25. So how is it possible that God throughout the Old Testament would say, well, here, I'm not going to justify the wicked. I'm going to condemn the wicked. But now through Paul, he says, I'm going to justify the ungodly. Well, the cross, the cross makes all the difference in the world. Now through the cross, Jesus Christ is taking that condemnation upon himself. So that by faith in him, you don't need to take it. Because you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't merit it. The Bible says that God, he reaches down to you to a place of absolute helplessness. And we don't owe our, our salvation to holding on to the rope or to the rope itself, but to the one the rope is tied to. Because God has thrown you a life preserver. And he's given you the faith to believe in him. And when a person really believes in Jesus, then the righteousness of Jesus Christ becomes your righteousness and mine. It just blows us away, doesn't it? Because there's something in us that always wants to earn. There's something in us that always wants us to work. We, are, we have in our minds at times this attitude of, it just can't be that way because there's got to be something I can do. I mean, I know me, and I know my failures, and I know my shortcomings, and I know when I trip up, and I know when my heart gets hard, and I know when my mind goes off. I know me, but God, the Bible says that he will give me his righteousness if I believe in him, and he'll save me. And he'll change me and he'll wash me just like he does with you. And I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done for me that I don't stand before God and say, God, you owe me. No, but rather with the love of Jesus Christ, I owe him. And if he's died for me, then guess what? I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for his will and his purposes. But the person, it's the person that really doesn't understand grace, the grace of God that will live a life that displeases the Lord. 
It's the person that really misunderstands the love and the mercy of God that will leave a Bible study like this and say, well, I'd heard it. I've heard it finally for one last time. Pastor's telling me up there, I don't need to do anything for God, so I'm going to go live like the devil this week because that's the pastor said that. He's the one. It's that guy up there. If you ever call me, I'll just tell you, call the pastor. You didn't hear me right. You didn't hear the Bible correctly. Don't think for a moment that God's blessing you out there partying like you're not a believer. Don't think that God is happy with the sexually immoral lifestyle that you're living. Oh, because of grace. No, grace teaches us to leave that stuff behind. You know, you find yourself maybe even here right now where you're able to say the right things and you even understand what God requires of you, but you have failed to surrender your life and you leave here living like the devil and living like the world all week and you come in on Sundays to kind of get washed up and cleansed and try to be encouraging. Well, I'm going to go back out into the world because, you know, in one thing in the church, I can act one way, but now in the world, I'm going to act another way. That's not what the Bible's teaching. And as I live for him, I remember that Jesus died for me. That's my life and that's yours. And the more I know him, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I know him. And the more I know him, the more I serve him. And there's this circle of love that motivates my life and yours. It's never permission to go and do our own thing. And when you preach this gospel, when you preach this good news, the good news of God's grace, there's no need for carnal methods to motivate people. You no longer need to use carnal methods. And do things in a carnal way to try to attract people to Jesus Christ. Friends, he's, attract, he, he's attractive in and of himself. He's attractive in all that he's done and how precious he is. We don't have to have carnal things to try to fill a church up. Come on out to our churches. We're going to raffle off a plasma TV, but you got to be there. Oh, yeah, I'm going to church. They're giving away TVs. Or come on out to church, and we got all kinds of free prizes and games. And if you would just come and sit with through a message, we'll be sure to give you something. The problem with that is if we use carnal methods to attract you, then we also have to use carnal methods to keep you. And we're not willing to do that. Oh, come on out to our church. We give $100 away every service. I say, that's the kind of church I want. The church tithes to me. Yeah, I'm all over that. But we've learned. We've learned throughout the ministry that All we have for you is the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can't make that any more attractive than it is. And we can't try to pluck your carnal strings in your life to say, here, carnally, we want to bring you here. Because if we carnally bring you here, then we're going to have to carnally keep you here. And you know what? That becomes a tradition of ministering to people in the flesh. And we're not willing to do that here. We're just not going to go there. What we have to give you is not a free raffle and not free gifts. And what we have to give you is the free gift of salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And my heart is to motivate you through love. The more that I can lift Jesus up in his death and resurrection, the more I know that love will then hook your heart. And in that hook of your heart, then love will motivate you. And you know, love is a good motivator. Guilt, not a good motivator. Carnality, not a good motivator, but love, a supreme motivator. And I want to close in this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you turn there with me? I'm going to read from the New King James, and then I'll read it to you from the New Living, because I think they bring out some neat things here. But we want you to be motivated by love. We want that circle of love in your life. We want you to see how much Jesus, he loves you. We don't want to be caught in traditions. We don't want to be caught in religious traditions that contradict the scriptures, that somehow undermine the sufficiency of faith in Jesus Christ. We want you to understand that you can't earn salvation. You you don't deserve it. You don't merit it. But God, he loves you and he gives it to you. You don't have to turn around and say, well, now I'm saved. I think I'll work for it. You can't. 
And Paul says this, chapter 5, verse 14. He's talking about motivation and ministry. And he says, for the love of Christ constrains us. Or another way of writing that, you could write next to it, compels us. Or you could also write, moves us. That's what moves me, the love of Christ. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What a summary of what Jesus is looking from us. Listen to the New Living Translation. It says, whatever we do, it's because of Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life that we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. And so what does Abraham teach us? He teaches us that salvation is a gift of grace and salvation is not a wage for works. It's simply a gift. And I believe there are some here today that God is extending that gift to you. And he's calling you now to understand the depth and depravity of your own sin. But that in that sin, there is forgiveness. That Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, was sent for you. So that through his death and resurrection and your faith in him, your sins might be forgiven and the judgment of God taken out of your life and replaced with an everlasting life. Thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace, our Monday edition. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of Romans right now, and you can hear today's message again through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, today we learned that salvation is a gift of grace. It's not a wage from works. With Christmas just behind us, I was thinking of the gifts that we just received. It would be pretty foolish and insulting to hand the giver of the gift a $20 bill after opening the present. Would you make that connection to the gift of salvation that we received from God? The gift of salvation is just that. It's hard for us to conceive sometimes that we receive a gift from almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God. What, what is it that we have ever done that would deserve a gift from God, our creator? But that's the beauty of it, isn't, isn't it, Larry? That's the beauty of it, that God loves us despite us or in spite of us or despite all of our failures, and that he extends to us his great and gracious love. One thing we've learned as we study the Bible is that God is always the initiator. We are the responders, and it's in his initiation of power and love that he extends to us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven and our lives eternally secure in him. And to me, I look back as I think through the beautiful gift of grace that has come from God to me, and I, I, I attribute all of my life to the grace of God. Not one ounce or drop of life is anything other than the grace of God. I was just sharing this testimony with a young high schooler, brand new to our church, second time she's ever been there, sharing a little bit of my testimony with her because of my high school experience and how rebellious and sinful and in many ways wicked my life was. And as I was sharing my story with her, because she's just about ready to launch off into college and Part of my testimony is, is that I was enrolled in college uh, here in Colorado uh, at CU. I was headed to college to, to study business and business administration. And because of my sinful mistakes, uh, my sinful atrocities, I couldn't go to college. And I had to 
my my life took a significant detour and it would have ended disastrously had Jesus not intervened. So you're right. Don't try to give a $20 bill back to God. Don't try to earn what is yours by faith that is truly a gift that's merited not by our works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I would even say this, believer, rejoice and celebrate in the gift that God has given to you. Rejoice in it. Be happy. Receive it repeatedly and be thankful for it because God is good and gracious and greatly to be praised. Amen to that. Thanks, Pastor Ed. Here in the month of December, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE. Please remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.